Good morning, afternoon, or evening. Please delete as appropriate. Hello there, and welcome to this episode number 417 of the Material Podcast. I'm Andy Anatko. Florence Ion is still on leave. Well, I gotta, I'm going to start off this week with a couple of updates. Uh, first of all, uh, so last week I was talking about uh, how I'm a little bit disappointed by how Google handles system updates compared to, to Apple, where you, I don't know when you don't know when they're actually in, in place. They're, when they get applied, there's no big splashy like intro uh, intro song and dance window that says, "Hey, you've been updated. Here's all the new features." Well, guess what I saw just two days ago? Uh, I did get the June Pixel feature drop, and it did start with a slideshow of brand new features. Cool. That's exactly what I wanted. And I don't I don't remember seeing that before. Maybe I did, and I just forgot it. Oh, well. Uh, and I like the fact that this little slideshow of, uh, hey, take a look at what the new features are. It went back beyond the June feature drop, which is really quite useful because sometimes there's stuff that you kind of hear about, but you don't really get into the deep dive of it. But then you remember that, oh, wait, transcription. That's something that this thing does do. I think I should learn about that now. So it was it was nice to get caught up. In my defense, though, I, I wasn't 100% wrong about like my entire screed against how Android does updates. Like, uh, I really thought that this update had already been completely installed. I, like a week ago, at least sometime last week, I just like I said last week, where I had to keep tapping the check for update fee- button until it found the update. I distinctly remember uh, doing the usual thing on my Android phone, which is, oh, wow, I have an excuse to absolutely restart right now because otherwise people would be able to call me for the next 20 minutes. And I don't want that to happen. <laughs> so I really thought it was already in place. But for some reason, I picked up my phone and I got I saw this alert saying, hey, you've got this update that's all ready to go. Just restart in order to experience the the wild, the wacky, the, the passion and the fury known as the June feature up, update. Like, okay, I thought I was already experiencing the power and the passion, but thank you anyway. So yeah, there's still a whole bunch of confusion about like how these things actually apply. And that actually gets me to reiterate a complaint that I kind of made last week. Uh, the blood oxygen saturation level on Pixel Watch, which is also supposed to be part of the June uh, feature drop. I don't know if I have it or not. Uh, I, <laughs> I can't see like a new button that says here... <laughs> Uh, enable this feature. I don't see anything appearing anywhere that says here is the data that we've collected. I have been watch wearing my pixel watch as I sleep because I know that the blood ox- oxygen saturation level is supposed to be something that uh, it's not, it doesn't work the way that the Apple watch does it, which is it's doing it continuously. And you can always ask for, Hey, what's my SPO two. It only does it while you sleep. So yeah, there, there's, there's definitely no button or anything to positively engage it saying that, Hey, begin, I, I give you permission to, to peer into, into my blood. So I haven't found it. And it kind of bespeaks another problem that's specific to health on, uh, on Android and on the pixel watch and, and on Fitbit. So it's possible that I do have this blood saturation, blood oxygen saturation level thing already up and running. And I just can't find it. It's like, even if I don't look for it on the watch itself, uh, even if I just limit the search to on my Android phone, the, uh, the my, my Pixel Watch, again, made by Google, there are four places to look for it. It's like, is it in the Google Watch app? Is it in Google's Google Fit app? 
Is it in the totally separate fitness app that's labeled Fitbit, the Fitbit app? And even within that third thing, there's always the question, like, is this what I is this a feature that's that I can only get with a subscription? Because one of the things that kind of dinged me, kind of minus me when I got my my first Fitbit was that, oh, so it doesn't do the cool things that the Apple Watch gives you for free, like the really cool stuff, like uh, analysis, goals, a lot of this uh, advanced stuff. You only get that by paying like a considerable, okay, maybe like, I don't know how much it is, but it's like less than $10, but very close to $10. It's It enters that realm, that dangerous realm where once I realize that this is costing me as much as a burrito per month, like every single time that I've eaten like just noodles and leftover chicken instead of going out for a burrito because I said, you know, 10 bucks is 10 bucks. Pennies wind up into dollars. Dollars wind up into hundreds of dollars, et cetera. I've been denying myself a burrito. And it feels like Fitbit has been stealing this burrito from me. Although to be fair, that would be exactly in line with its mission goal. If it can get me to not eat more burritos and to eat leftover like non-fried chicken and soba noodles, that's probably looking out for me in a very, very roundabout way. But still, it rankles, doesn't it? Uh, in, a, in a broader sense, I'm, I'm also still frustrated that I still can't get any kind of sleep tracking working. Like not on, uh, I've not on the Pixel Watch. Uh, I have a, the Nest Home that's on my nightstand. Can't get it really working on Nest Home. But though, although that's partly my fault because... I spend uh, a lot of t- a lot of time in bed, and I mean that like in the Mark Twain sense, in in Satan, the Mark Twain sense, the uh, the Winston Churchill sense. He's being incredibly productive and doing vital things that change the map of humanity. But instead of going to an office, they just simply stay in bed and write and do pronouncements, things like that. But it does confuse the hell out of my nest home in that it thinks that oh he's in bed, I'm going to start sleep tracking. I just, yeah, I just don't get it. So, and sometimes when I open up the sleep tracking section of whatever one of those 12 apps to look for it, I'll find out that, wow, I slept an hour and 20 minutes last night. And I was just now thinking that, my God, I was such a lump. I, I think I slept for like eight or nine hours. I had, had, a, had a great night's sleep, but gee, I didn't mean to sleep until uh, until noon or one o'clock. So I only slept an hour and like an hour and 20 minutes. Something is not right here. I know it's not because I keep waking up. Actually, I'm not on Ambien, so it's probably not a sleepwalking thing. I I certainly have not found a bloody knife like in my hands when I woke up at some point. Um, although I did, I did wind up with. Uh, <laughs> I, I gave myself a bit of a fright uh, in that, like I was uh, uh, got out of got out of bed in the morning, <laughs> was fixing breakfast, looked down, and I see that like like by the toes on my right foot, like on the instep are like all red. And I'm like, yeah, did I, did, I, did I cut myself? Or I step on something. I do walk barefoot every place inside the house. And then like, Oh no, see, it's bright red. It's not, it's not blood. It's some sort of magic marker. Gee, how did that happen? And then I remember that, Oh yes, I made a, I used a red magic marker, like to make a sign that I had post up for the benefit of my, uh, of, of my neighbors, uh, in the building, uh, and put it on the front door. And so, but then I realized that, okay, so we've struck out like the really, really, uh, uh, scary, dangerous and compelling thing, which is that like I stepped on a piece of glass or 
like I uh, or that like I this is actually this actually happened once I had a I had a dream that I was this was years ago I had a dream that I was being stung by bees in the leg and was weird I never had I've, I don't have dreams like that then I woke up and I discovered that oh that's because uh, like you had you <laughs> You, you have left an open pack of like exacto blades in the bed near your feet. No, they, they, didn't, they didn't cut anything. They just, you know, went bing, you know, just sort of like they were, they were just pointy. That's all. Uh, and so, and so it was the similar thing here where I done this like in bed. Like it was the last thing I did before I went to bed. So, oh geez, you know, the thoughtful thing would be to let all my neighbors know that, oh, by the way, the power was out from like 2 a.m. until 3.30 in the morning. It was out in the entire neighborhood, just in, not just in our building. So like if you see that your if you see that your 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 oven clock is flashing, don't worry that your fridge is like you have to throw out everything in the fridge only for nine that sort of stuff. Uh, and then of course I went back right back to bed. And so that meant so the the red on my foot meant that I had left I guess I'd insufficiently snapped the cap back on the red marker. So good news is that the uh, red stuff like washed right off my foot. The bad stuff is that there was this big, huge, like <laughs> there was this big, huge, like five inch diameter, like red splotch uh, on my on my bed sheets that went all the way down to the uh, to the mattress topper. So, yeah, I'm not I'm I'm not sure if OxyClean is going to do anything for that. Oh, well, but back to sleep tracking. So I'm, I'm going to, uh, I am going to try a third party app again. Uh, years ago, I tried the uh, sleep as Android app, which is as close to like the standard default triumph, triumphed uh, sleep tracking app for Android. I don't know why I stopped using it. Probably because I just kind of fell out of the habit or I felt that my sleep was like well into was well in hand. I didn't need to like track it. I think I'm just going to, I'm just going to go back to using it. Uh, I mean, this sleep tracking, it might even be a complicated enough task that it can only be done really well by a company that survives or fails solely on how well it does that one thing, as opposed to what Google has done with the Pixel Watch, which is to make it a feature that they kind of tease at, and then maybe six months later, they kind of get around to maybe implementing it in some fashion. Uh and if that fails, maybe I'll, it's might be a good excuse to try special hardware, like these sensors you can put like between your mattress and your box screen. I don't know. Maybe they'll just be good money after bad. All I can tell you is that, uh, my, just my, my sleep schedule has gone so wacky and a lot of it is due to, uh, getting, I, I try most of my problems with sleep have, have nothing to do with sleep, sleep apnea. I don't think or anything like that. It really is just being really disciplined and getting into bed at like midnight or one one a.m., turning off every screen, reading a, a reading a book on paper for another hour hour and a half, and then like not fighting sleep and just turning off every single light and going to sleep. Oftentimes, like the other night, I I got uh, I got into a rat hole. Uh, I, I discovered this like repository of like old federal documents, and so. Uh, before I could turn off all the lights, I, again, I got my, 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 the dog inside my head, grabbed that tennis ball, ran off with it and had thought it was a fun game to, to make me chase after it and not give it back up. And so that's why I was up until like six or seven in the morning. Uh, but yeah, so how, how wacky is my sleep? Um, I'll tell you that 
it's early in the morning on Thursday as I record this. Uh, I had dinner at two thirty in the morning. Uh, <laughs> uh, soba noodles with uh, sesame oil and sesame seeds and uh, sliced uh, pork loin. <laughs> yes, I, I've, I've cooked a full meal because I knew that. Yep, I was I was asleep so late today, and I have so much to do that I'm just gonna have to accept that. I got I got eight or nine hours of sleep, and now I'm going to be up for twelve hours after this. And oh, okay, uh, another update though, an update on Google Domains. Uh, you'll remember that a few weeks ago, actually a month ago, Flo and I were talking about a story where the uh, Google Domains. This is the business where Google will reg- register a domain for them, and they will use their considerable clout as an industry, as a worldwide industry titan, to create new top level domains that are cute or whenever they they had the dot dad top-level domain that they just started selling like in March. The the point of the news story was that they had also decided to have .zip and .mov for movies and for things that are supposed to be going fast and which caused a, a lot of a lot of the people who try to keep everyone safe on the internet to raise their hands uh, get wait to be called upon and say that yeah, wouldn't URLs that end with like a common file name extension be a good thing for bad people to exploit to get people to click on <laughs> on malicious links, uh, and uh, maybe maybe they decided that oh my god that's absolutely right. I don't think we want to be the ones to try to solve this. Quick, let's sell this entire business to Squarespace, and that's what they did this week. They sold Google domains to Squarespace. It is to laugh, isn't it? So yeah, that's their that's their level of commitment. Uh, they didn't kill it again; they sold it to someplace else. And to be honest, it kind of seemed odd to me always that why would Google want to be in the domain name business? It really is like chasing pennies, isn't it? Like I I don't know how I, I, it would be very much. It's very much in their interest to uh, uh, to uh, host uh, uh, to host uh, DNS services. So that, you know, we will give, if you use our DNS servers, so the one that your cable company gives you, A, your cable company won't be able to track you with that way. B, it'll be really, really super fast because we're making this noticeably super faster than pretty much every, everything else. But in our way, we also, we also get to take a look at every, <laughs> every IP address that you're actually trying to transact. That makes sense. I just never got the idea of Google domain. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to be as like fussy about the reasons why they they decided to dump this. Maybe they should have like <laughs> this was something that they they can get they can get some cash for it. Maybe they should. Well, I've got some uh, some cool topics. I'm really looking forward to talking to this week. Uh, for instance, the Pixel Tablet reviews are out, just as the Pixel Tablets are also out. So let's see if there's any consensus whatsoever on whether the Pixel Tablet is a tablet that doubles as a smart display or a smart display that doubles as a tablet, or if it's just low expectations that turns into abject disappointment. Uh, Also, uh, a national news corporation worth billions of dollars is suing Google, a company worth trillions of dollars. And you might think that this has nothing to do with us, but, you know, let's follow this out. I'm sure that whatever happens when billionaires fight trillionaires, it's small local newspapers that are barely hanging on they're the ones that are going to come out as the big winners in this. I'm confident about this. The preceding was sarcasm, of course. You will recognize this as uh, Generation X's chief tool for addressing any conflict. We're kind of like that, you know, that red panda that you've seen in the in the GIFs? 
that like they throw their paws up into the air whenever it feels threatened. Well, anyway, I think that uh, that's 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 why we in Generation X, you know, tend to go for that. Uh, so Google's executives, I think they're mostly Gen X. So that probably explains Google's new ad campaign for Android. And we'll get all get to all of that right after this break. Well, the problem with a product that's announced way before it ships is that over the year or so since Google I.O. 2022, which is when the Pixel tablet was first announced, and today, I've built up expectations, and expectations is how you get your heart broken. But, okay, hopefully the hopefully things turned out okay. We've got all these reviews in front of us. Um, I will say that I've... I have expectations about the Pixel tablet. I liked what I was seeing last year because like, I like it when a product tells a clear story that indicates to me, or at least suggests to me that they may, if, 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 you know, it's, it's, you hear this advice about to writers about how, like, if you can't summarize this book or your, the screenplay or whatever it is you're writing in the form of like a 10 second elevator pitch, you probably don't know what this, what the story is about yet. Like if you have to recap every single thing, then you need to keep working on this because you probably haven't really figured this out yet. And I think this it's the same with technology too, that if the only way that a company or a producer of a piece of technology, software, service, whatever, can uh, can can explain it is by going through all the features of it, you it has no story behind it. You don't know why you're making this. You don't know who's supposed to be using this. You don't know uh, what what role this fulfills uh, in a very, very cluttered industry right now. Um, and this is why company announcements to me, they're not just long and boring ads. Well, they are long and boring ads, but it's not just jotting down PR notes. It, it's valuable to hear the company describe what they think this thing is and who it's for and why they felt it was worth their time to make it. It's and like I said, it's especially valuable when they make it clear that they don't have any of those answers themselves, and they're hoping that you just sort of ignore that and <laughs> and take down the names of the of the four different colorways, the different ways that they managed to uh, name red, blue, gray, a different kind of gray, and yellow. And I thought that they had a really good idea, a really good story with the Pixel tablet. The central observation that inspired it, according to Google, was that tablets can serve a role during that bulk of the time when no one's using it. Like, it's it's not doing anything for you while it's inside your bag or just, you know, tossed on an end table or something. Maybe it can be fulfilling a role inside your house while it's, while it's that. So, hence, it's not just a tablet. It's a tablet that turns into a smart display when it's in a special speaker dock. So again, lots of expectations, but Google could so easily have screwed this up, like docking and undocking. That could have been just, you know, like a parlor trick that added nothing like, or been as simple as, oh, well, I've got, you know, I've got docks on my, I've got magnetic docks on my iPad that it will charge it and it will keep it in a stand, but it's still the exact same thing. It doesn't take advantage of this new configuration. Um, all in all, it, like the Google tablet, excuse me, the Pixel tablet could have been like one of those cars that's also a boat. You know, it could have been a bad tablet that's also a bad smart display or maybe even worse, mediocre at either one of those. So I really had my fingers crossed reading these reviews because I thought that Google might be really onto something here. And the good news is that the reviews are in and they're almost universally positive. I've read like six to eight of them, I think. And I didn't see a single one that was negative at all. I, uh, Marquez, Marquez Brownlee's was a little bit meh about it. 
that, but with fair points about it, most of the reviewers that don't get me wrong. They weren't saying I've, I've, I, I, my my lord i can walk my eyes I, my eyes can see i did not know tablet until this moment uh, but they seem to have gotten it 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 seems as though google executed this basic idea really well and the reviewers seem to understand what the pixel tablet is supposed to be and during those two weeks in which they were using it inside their homes they got on board um, and i should make it really really clear i haven't actually laid hands on a on a pixel tablet yet um, if I get one for review, I'm not going to ask for it for another few weeks yet because I have nothing really to do with it. Uh, but that's that's why I was trying to read as many takes as I possibly could. Um, and the consensus amongst all these takes is that it isn't an exceptional tablet. Mostly, as strictly as a tablet, it gets compared to an entry-level iPad. In some ways, very positively. In some ways, very negatively. But that's all okay because the Pixel tablet wasn't designed as a, the kind of tablet that you take on an overnight business trip or even for a productive hour at a coffee shop. This is a tablet that ideally doesn't leave the house. If you if you're doing if you're using it the way that they thought you would, it goes from the the it goes from the speaker dock to like a couch cushion to the speaker dock to an end table to the speaker dock carried into the bedroom for reading and like watching Netflix in bed <laughs> back to the speaker dock. It's not the sort of thing that you're going to rely on uh, for that. You 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 rely on the uh, you you rely on the the concept, not necessarily the power of the screen itself. Many reviewers commented about how they had the Pixel tablet on a stock in the living room, and they found themselves reaching for it all the time just because it was so handy. Like they'd be watching TV, and suddenly they want to like spend some time on Reddit, and they just take the tablet off its stock on the nights uh, on the on the end table. That was uh, that was very very significant to me. That the, the fact that it got people, it got these people using this device even when they weren't necessarily like dead set on using a tablet. It's like this happened to be the most convenient thing to use at the time. It was suitable for that purpose, and because uh, they got into the habit of, I mean, you the the, the dock is it's, it's magnetic, so it easily put it on, easily take it off, and it aligns itself. They just sort of, it never walks, so to speak. You never have to go, never have to go looking for it. You never, all the times that I wind up doing something on my phone that I would much rather do on my iPad or on my laptop, simply because my laptop isn't where I thought it was. It's not lost, but it, I thought, oh, it's not, I could have sworn that I'd left it on my, docked on my desk. Okay, well, I guess I can use my phone instead of just going looking for it. Yeah, that's that says something when uh, reviewers are using is using it the way that the product's designers thought that they would. That means that uh, the designers were were on to something. The reviewers also pretty much praised how much thought that Google seemed to have put into those two different modes: the 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 hub mode or in the dock and and the tablet mode, and how well it worked as a tablet or as a smart speaker. So they seemed to have gotten both of those aspects right. So it wasn't uh, <laughs> it was it was a car towing a boat, not a aqua car, so to speak. Overall, I do get the impression that Google, short of my trying up myself, executed this idea really well. Google could have gone the Pixel Book route and produced a pro-grade productivity tablet, but they didn't. They figured out something that Google could do very well, but which neither Apple nor Samsung were already addressing. And of course, that's always a big consideration when you're talking about Google producing its own hardware. Like, 
it's oops, sorry. It seems really, really silly for them to try to make a thousand dollar large screen productivity art tablet when Samsung is already doing that. So why a you're competing with an established brand that's had the galaxy tab for years and years and years, and also you're competing with your allies. And that's, that's always very, very touchy. It's a uh, all it's, I think it's significant that Google doesn't sell the pixel tablet unbundled from the speaker dock. The fact that you can't buy it without having a dock with it, that means that they're clearly saying that there's nothing special about the Pixel tablet, like just as a tablet. It really is this mating of dock and screen. Let's get down to some details. Uh, it's kind of mulling together a whole bunch of different comments and observations made in various reviews and also from looking at specs and things like that. Um, everyone was saying that seems to be put together very well. It doesn't feel cheap. Uh, the screen, everyone was praising it as being really, really nice, really great for watching videos. There was uh, one complaint about the 16 to 10 aspect ratio that it's maybe a little bit awkward for reading. That's it's like a widescreen aspect ratio, which is perfect for video. But once you're holding it in portrait, uh, portrait alignment and you're trying to read something, it's not, it's just not the shape of a, of a sheet of paper. And even when you're, and I, I've used other tablets that have 16 by 10 aspect ratio, even when you're doing it horizontally and you've got like left page, right page, the page is a little bit too square. I don't know. I've, I really like four by three. There's something about it that I, I don't know who came up with it, that, that, that aspect ratio in like 1898, whoever, whoever it was that Thomas Edison stole, <laughs> stole, uh, motion pictures from, they, they knew what they were doing. That, that was a perfect aspect ratio, or maybe it's just that I've been using it for a long, long time. Eh, who cares? Um, I also like that there was a, uh, they, there, there's some nice little touches there. For instance, they put a couple little strips of rubber on the bottom edge of the tablet so that when you're not, when it's not in the dock and you've just got it, like you're got in the kitchen and you've got it like propped up leaning against like that ceramic jug full of, you know, whisks and <laughs> spatulas and stuff. So it's got some traction on the countertop. It won't slide off. That was a nice touch. Uh, no headphone jack. God damn it. Uh, let's move, let's move on to battery life <laughs> because that's, I can either, I can when I talk about headphone jacks on devices, especially devices that are big enough to definitely support a headphone jack, I can talk about it for 30 seconds, I can talk about it for 30 hours and I'm dragged off. There is no in between. So let's get let's move on to the battery life. Uh, battery life seems like it's less than a comparable iPad. Uh remember that the Pixel tablet costs $499 with the dock. The introductory level iPad is $449. So that's what the comparisons are being made to. Uh, so they saying eh, less than that kind of an iPad. Also way less than the 12 hours that Google promises. Uh, a couple of reviewers though, like uh, I'm sorry, by way less, I don't mean like two hours. I mean that six to eight hours instead of 12. Um, but a couple of reviewers, uh, well, they, they, they gave Google a mulligan on that one because, hey, they're, they're saying, hey, I keep like instinctively dropping it onto the speaker dock when I'm not using it. So I'm constantly recharging it. So it's not quite so big a deal. And as we've been saying earlier, that it's not as though you're going to be, uh, you're, you're, you're going to be using this for an entire day of commuting from your house to a business trip in California or something like this, this is it's probably not going to leave the house. Uh, I mean, you can't even get a, 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 you can't even get a, Google doesn't even sell a case with a cover for this. That's, that's how, that's how confident Google was that you're probably not going to be using this in, in road warrior mode. Uh, 
Um, but that's, uh, but they ba- that idea of dropping on the charger all the time, that does bring up one question that we can't really answer for another year or two. F- when we talk about battery life, we don't just talk about how many hours can you use it on a single charge. You also have to think about what is the life of that battery component. And they have a limited number of charge discharge cycles. There's, uh, they, there, there are things that prolong the life of a battery. One of them is not just keeping it attached to a charger all the time. So there's an argument to be made that the, the default mode of this being in a charging dock means that maybe the battery will only last like uh, two years, two or three years instead of four, the three, four, five years that it might last otherwise. So this is something that certainly we're not going to be able to answer for a while. Uh, however, it is definitely something that Google was thinking about when they were designing this, because when you have it in the dock, by default, it will only charge the battery to 90%. So it won't charge it to 100%, which is the like the the sort of danger zone. You can turn this off if you do need it to charge 100%. You can go into settings and change it. But it does mean that they were thinking about this. So I don't know. Given that this thing only has, uh, I think, three years of OS updates, five years of security updates, Okay, so it has to it has to really damage that battery in order to sev- seriously affect like the working life of this device. So, okay, we'll table that for later. So let's talk about hub mode when it's in that dock. Uh, reviewers were saying that the transition between carrying this around as a tablet and dropping the uh, using it as a uh, uh, as a smart display as a hub, uh, the transition works flawlessly. Like you can grab the tablet, navigate through Spotify, start music playing. And of course the music starts playing through the tablet speakers, then drop it back on the dock and the sound output immediately switches to that higher quality dock speaker with only a moment's hesitation and without any interaction from you. So you don't have to pair it and repair it. You don't have to push a button. Uh, Boy, that would have been super disappointing. Like, oh my goodness, why do I have to, why do I have to Chromecast (laughs) the tablet to the dock when it's attached to the, to the, this device through like, was it four or five metallic pins? Uh, But no, they didn't, they didn't make that. They, they looked at that rake laying on the ground. They decided, Hey, why don't I walk around that instead of jumping on it? Uh, they're saying that it does click onto the dock magnetically uh, without any care for alignment. They don't have to align it. It will just drops on exactly where, where you meant to go without giving it any thought. Uh, it'll come off just as easily. Uh, speakers uh, of the dock loud and robust, although Marquez Brownlee thought it could stand serious improvement. I think he put it somewhere between a Google home mini and a nest home max. He might've put it closer to the, uh, Google Home Mini. Other reviewers said that, hey, it's perfectly good sound. It will fill a room very, very nicely. Uh, so sometimes it's based on your taste in music. Sometimes it's your expectations of a speaker. If you think about this as a $500 uh, speaker, yeah, you have you have the right to be very, very, have very, very high expectations about it. If you think about it as like, given that this is a $130 accessory, maybe it should be as good as, uh, as just a, as a Nest Home. I don't know, but so little, I, I don't think that people will be buying this, uh, for the, for the maximum audio experience possible. Um, when you dock it, it automatically goes into hub mode. It stops being in, it stops presenting itself on screen as an Android device and kind of turns into a smart screen, like a hub mode. So it, it, uh, looks kind of like uh, kind of the way that a nest home would look it will show like a, when you're not interacting with it it'll show a clock or the weather or the or if you set set the screensaver to photo gallery it'll show you photos 
and uh, mostly you interact with it in this mode uh, through Google Assistant. Um, there's also a, a home shortcut button on the top of that too. So when you tap on that, it will immediately activate a panel of home, home automation controls. So if you just want to quickly check to see like if there's anyone, the, you heard a noise, is there anyone at the front door, tap the shortcut, then you can immediately look at your front doorbell camera, that sort of stuff. Um, it uh, can also act as a Chromecast speaker or Chrome, uh, Chromecast screen for other devices. Very, very nice, as you would expect. As you as you wouldn't maybe expect when you're when the uh, when the tablet is not on the hub excuse me is not on the dock you can't use that empty dock as a chromecast speaker which is kind of surprising you would think that hey i've got the speaker that's not doing anything maybe i can just use it even as a nest nest mini speaker but nope uh the chromecast as a chromecast target uh that uh, that part of its soul is carried uh, on the screen and not in the in the head and not in the body so to speak uh, but it's not just a, uh, a a smart display. It is, of course, a fully functioning Android tablet that runs Android 13. So this was an opportunity for a lot of these reviewers to take their first serious look at Android 13 and evaluate Google's drive to make Android work better on tablets. This wasn't remember this wasn't just some sort of press release that they kicked out uh, interregnum. They this was one of the big like highlights of Google I/O. I think last year, or the year before. I mean, not twenty twenty three. I think twenty twenty two or twenty twenty one. This was one of the, like the the marquee things that they were introducing that year. Hey, we know we know that tablet the tablet experience stinks on Android. We are we're in an extended campaign to fix that. So, uh, re- reviewers' response to Android on a tablet was mostly positive. Though reviewers, of course, they couldn't help but compare it to the iPad, um, and that's uh, it's not going to compare really, really well, uh, especially when you're thinking of it again as a productivity device. And here, I'm not just talking about this specific tablet, but Google <laughs> Android tablets in general. Um, like Google has been just trying to get Android tablets off the ground. Meanwhile, Apple's been doing things like stage manager for the iPad and year after year after year, we're making an even more credible case for the uh, credible argument for the iPad as a real productivity machine. Yes. It's, yes. It's great for content consumption uh, and all these little things you would do with a tablet. But if you really, if you do want to spend three or four days on a business trip with just this as your sole computer inside a keyboard folio case can do no problem. I can vouch for that because that's, it is my go-to for when I'm traveling. Um, but in this category, I think Google benefited from reviewers, not thinking about the Pixel tablet as a productivity-oriented device. So they mostly appreciated just being able to finally run two apps side-by-side, even if it was only those two apps. And they seem to like the application dock. Uh, there's no, It's not a permanent like uh, application dock at the bottom of the screen. There's the horizontal line you're kind of used to seeing at the bottom of an Android phone. But if you swipe it up, then suddenly this little tray of application icons opens up and you can use it to launch apps or to put apps into split screen, kind of similar to how the iPad works, but again, without quite so much flexibility. They also didn't seem to give, um, they, they didn't seem to hassle the, t- uh, the pixel tablet much for not having that optional keyboard case or a stylus. Again, it's, it's, I, I think that that was such a, a clear statement of what Google thinks this tablet is for 
again, even just the idea of, well, what if I just want to be able to watch movies during my morning commute? Can you sell me a case that has a flap, like a screen, like a, a screen protector like a, a, that covers the screen so it doesn't get scratched in my bag? No, they do sell like a case, but it's just kind of like a stand case. That's so you can take it that, that you can clip it. You can uh, have a stand with a little kickstand on it. And it will also it won't interfere with docking it to uh, to the hub, so yeah, I think they're really really clear about that. I mean, it, it so on that basis, yeah, it doesn't seem really necessary that there be an optional keyboard case or a stylus. Besides, it will work with key, uh, Bluetooth keyboards and mouses, and it's compatible with any third party stylus that uh, uh, compa- that conforms to the uh, USI 2.0 standard, the Universal Stylus Initiative uh, 2.0 standard. It even actually has magnets on the back to hold the stylus when stock. So if you do have one of these third-party styluses, you can it'll actually you can actually keep the stylus on the back of the tablet while it's in its dock, and then when you pull it off, boom, you got a stylus. Great. Inevitably, though, they did have to talk about the lack of third-party app support for Android tablets, uh, <laughs> and it's not it's not a happy story. It's even now, even though app, even though I believe Google, when they say that they've been, I can see the work that they've been doing to make sure the developers have the resources that they need in the form of APIs and OS support for to, to transform their phone apps into really handsome looking tablet sized apps. And I believe, excuse me, I have to believe that they've also been uh, campaigning directly to developers to try to encourage them to actually take advantage of this stuff. I don't know, yes or no, if they've been doing what a lot of uh, uh, a lot of companies who have agendas do, which is to say, we will pay you four hundred thousand dollars to take the Slack app that you create and make sure it works really good on Android tablets, uh, because otherwise you get the sort of complaints that these reviewers were having, which is that. Uh, Slack looks like butt <laughs> on this tablet. It just apps that have not been rewritten specifically to take advantage of all these new tablet features in, in Android 13. Uh, you either get a phone sized screen that takes up like a, a third of the, of the display and the rest is just inky blackness or you get it'll it'll diligently uh, and dutifully resize the window that contains like all the buttons and the content scrollers and things like that, but it's like uh, putting a poster stamp in the middle of a cornfield. It like it doesn't. It looks like a, an abused phone app. It does not look like a tablet app. Um, on the positive side, they did uh, single out the Google company apps that have all been rewritten to take advantage of tablets and said, Oh, well, it looks great. So at least they, they, they landed the point that if developers take advantage of this stuff, they can make tablet apps that look great and maybe would make Google uh, Android tablets as credible as iPads went for productivity. Alas, not quite yet. Um, The only, so uh, I don't, I didn't see you've heard me, you've heard me use the term like stepping on a rake. That's my, you see companies do that all the time where, Oh God, all you had to do was not make this stupid mistake. That's so easy not to make, Uh, but you made it anyway. So uh, the only rake stepping, the only silly design oversight that I I read mentioned in half a dozen of these reviews was that uh, how the screen, when you're using it, uh, when you're using it, uh, I think when you're using an Android app, 
uh, often times out and goes dark, just like an Android phone. Uh, even when you're watching a video, so I think one reviewer, I think it was for wired. Um, he was mentioning how, like, I guess I can, I can set the screen time out for 30 minutes, but what if it's, if it's disconcerting when you're following a cooking video in the kitchen and suddenly the screen goes away after five minutes. Uh, yeah. And, and there are a couple other, a uh, couple other reviewers mentioned strange little hiccups that I, I, I didn't really understand what they were saying. Uh, one of them mentioned that when they use the Google assistant to, uh, uh, to listen to a piece of music, a specific piece of music or a video, instead of actually playing the video in the YouTube app or whatever, it would simply open Spotify or open YouTube in the, uh, in, uh, uh, the, the Android app that had been installed upon the thing, as opposed to doing what a smart speaker would do, which is say, oh, I have, I have no apps. I just have the ability to stream things from Spotify. I will start this stream going. Um, the others didn't mention that. They mentioned how easily these sort of things work. So, uh, take that, uh, take that for what it is. I did not understand it, so I'm just, re- I'm just going to repeat uh, the the sounds that were made by the words that were put into these reviews. Uh, but uh, compared to that, there was big, big praise across many reviewers, including Marquez Brownlee, uh, for the Pixel Tablet's multi-user support, which is something that inherited just straight from uh, from Android, uh, which makes this much, much more useful than it could be otherwise. Now. Anybody inside the house can pull that tablet off the dock, and when they put their finger on the finger on the fingerprint reader, suddenly this is—it's not uh, your tablet, it's not your partner's tablet, it's not two of your kids' tablets. It's this other kid's tablet specifically because they have reg- uh, they have registered their fingerprint and ha- they have their own uh, user account, uh, user profile on that device with their own set of apps, with their own set of data that no one else can see. Uh, beautiful. Uh, you can set up as many as eight. Some of these can be controlled, uh, like age restricted. And this, this was the one place where people, where these reviews were saying, oh, if only Apple would steal this idea for the iPhone, uh, iPad. Oh, it's such a natural thing. So good for them. So yeah, I, no, I, I should mention, I, I, I might've given the wrong impression when I started off talking about this, that, oh, I'm, I'm really rooting for this tablet. No, I'm not rooting for the tablet. Again, they're... Uh, Google is a trillion dollar company. I am a freelance journalist in a rapidly collapsing market. (laughs) I I don't root for them. (laughs) I am a disinterested observer who wants the best for the users. That's all I want. But nonetheless, this was an opportunity for a company to do something that I thought was unique in the tablet space. And it makes me happy that they landed this, that they kind of showed that, yes, this is something that we're doing that no one else is doing. And it seems, and disinterested third-party reviewers seem to agree. Um, so yeah, I might reach out to Google and borrow one now. Uh, if anything, I do want to see how much Google, uh, how much Android on tablets has advanced. I haven't uh, used it in quite a while. Um, actually, I think the last time I used Android on a tablet, like as a productivity thing, was an Asus convertible, which I liked a lot. Um, but that, um, I could I could see myself buying one, maybe not for four hundred ninety nine dollars, not not with not with a uh, an iPad Pro that is still like well 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 in before like the twilight of its use useful life. Um, I mean, I'm I I will say though that if I can scoop one up for under three hundred dollars on Black Friday this year, maybe definite maybe well uh we have some other uh 
hardware news, kind of. Uh, so if the message was clear in all these reviews about the Pixel tablet not really being a productivity device, we had another little bit of news about future Chromebooks that more than made up for that gap. So 9to5Google tells us that Google is readying, I don't know how to, how to describe it, like some new branding and hardware specs for future high-end or at least higher end Chromebooks. Uh, and not that they're going to be making these higher end Chromebooks, but uh, so specifications and a, a new trademark, new like designation uh, for Chromebooks are going to be made and sold by third party hardware companies. Ninety uh, five Google thinks it's going to be called Chromebook X. Uh, reading their report, I get the gist that the purpose of Google's branding is to make it easy for buyers to tell the difference between a Chromebook that's designed for schools, you know, kind of minimal and a Chromebook that's designed for enterprise, for business, for productivity. Um, but don't, X class Chromebooks probably won't be as pricey as like the Google pixel book, which you could spend a thousand dollars, actually 12, $1,300 for, uh, if you recall the pixel book, which is awesome. I, I have one. I still use it. Uh, it cost about as much as a mid range windows notebook with specs to match. It was like the best Intel processors, huge amounts of storage, great, everything overkill for what is inaccurately, but not incorrectly described as an operating system that just runs a browser. Uh, uh, the specification uh, was described by 9to5Google. It lists uh, four different Intel and AMD CPUs. Uh, those are typically found in Chromebooks that cost like $500 or so. So it's probably not going to be super high end. It's just going to be, again, better than a school Chromebook. I think the, the point of this enterprise is to ensure that these X-class laptops can handle the business productivity stuff really, really well. And that if that's what you went to Best Buy to get, you're not going to walk out with like a minimum required hardware and CPU uh, to run Google Docs inside a classroom. Uh, for instance, the hardware spec for these X class devices, it calls for a high quality web webcam, for instance, and uh, the Chrome OS that's installed on these X class Chromebooks will have extra features for uh, adding background blur and voice isolation. So again, your conferencing, your Zoom calls will be really, really great. Uh, 9to5 doesn't know when the Chromebooks with the X de designation are going to start showing up. They think it'll be late this year, like in a coordinated release uh, where lots of different hardware makers release their hardware at the same time, kind of like when they were doing their like Chromebooks as gaming devices uh, thing. Uh, one press release, two or three hardware announcements. Then let's hope that they stick with this. And this is all a great move. And it's happy news for Chromebook fans like me. Uh, there's always been a risk that Chrome OS would collapse to just a collection of super cheap school laptops that are so cheap that like they're practically, practically water soluble, practically water absorbent. Um, I do regret that Android laptops while we're on the subject never turned to, into a thing though. Um, I do think because I think there was a time when Google had a huge jump on Apple with their iPad. I don't think they ever made a tablet that, with the possible exception of the Nexus 7. It's, it's, by the way, it's interesting how a lot of these reviews of the Pixel tablet have this fond recollection of the Nexus 7. I think they should bring that name back <laughs> just as so everybody in the know would know this means it's a pocket, it's a back pocketable 
uh, tablet uh, that doesn't have the it's, it's better than a huge phone. It's not as good as a 13 inch tablet, but oh my God, it's going to be the best thing for reading books and content consumption and maybe doing a little bit of Google Docs work. I would, if someone said that we've got the Nexus 7, we got the next Nexus 7, that gets my attention really, really quickly. Uh, I'm sorry, but I digress. Yeah, what I'm saying is that when the, when Google transitioned Android to the material user interface, I think that at that point, for that period, they had a UI that moved between uh, a multi-touch tablet to a keyboard and trackpad laptop without missing a step. Like if you wanted, if uh, if you were going to be using this uh, this Android tablet to read comic books, uh, to read the New York Times, whatever, it was a wonderful tablet. You didn't feel like you were. Uh, the touch targets or the buttons or anything were too small for your fingers, that it was an adapted desktop interface. If you snapped this tablet screen into a, uh, into a keyboard trackpad uh, uh, case, which is what, which is that Asus device that I use. It's one of those, remember when they have, they have hard docks into something that would fold like a real laptop. Those were kind of nice. Yeah. And, and when you, but when you, do, when you docked it, you didn't feel like the trackpad was taking the place of your finger which is sometimes what you get when you're using the iPad. I thought it was a really, really superlative design. Um, so yeah, I was, uh, I don't know if, if this were an Andy oriented industry, we'd have a whole bunch of like really great $430, like Android laptops, like ultra light, super ultra light Android laptops. But this is not an Android. This is not an Andy focused industry. In some ways, that's bad, but it's but in many ways, that's very very good. Um, and I was, but I, I I acknowledge that like Chromebooks, Chromebooks can do things that Windows notebooks can't, and Chromebooks can do things that iPads iPads can't. And yeah, so it so it justifies its existence. It justifies all the time that people spend in creating them and all the money people spend on buying them. Whereas a laptop that runs Android. And, and here, imagine not just like a two hundred dollar, hundred or one hundred fifty dollar drugstore like Android device here. I mean, hardware that has the specs to run Android really, really well. It wouldn't be able to compete with all that, and they'd probably just make the case for Chromebooks a whole lot less clear if people had to think, oh, do I, should I get a Chromebook or should I get an Android laptop? Eh. Okay, well, we're going to take another break. After which, we are going to try to pity the company that publishes USA Today. Let's see how successful we are. Well, here's a shocking surprise. We're going to be talking about antitrust action once again. And it's not because the antitrust action from the EU that we talked about last week was so fascinating. It had so many unexplored layers that we, gosh, we just had to give more time to it this week. No, another lawsuit <laughs> got slipped under the door. Uh, this time uh, by the Gannett Group. This is the uh, publishers of USA Today. They also published 200 other papers uh, across the United States, largest owner of newspapers in the United States. Uh, they also own the Arizona Republic, a newspaper that I almost wound up writing for. Like not just writing for, I mean, working for, I was offered the job like ages ago of, of the, the, the movie critic of the Arizona Republic. And, uh, it was, it was, it was, oh boy, it was, it was one of those really, really, <laughs> movie style conundrums where in the same like two week period, I, I was faced with two dream jobs. I could either move from Boston to Phoenix, Arizona 
and be the full-time staff movie critic of the Arizona Republic, which is a national, which is a statewide paper, really, really big circulation, really, really good reputation. Uh, or I could, uh, be the technology columnist for the Chicago Sun Times as a freelancer and not be paid, not be paid as much, not get any benefits, but be able to stay in Boston and also be able to freelance for like other people with Arizona Republic. I couldn't do anything else but review movies. And so, oh my God, it's like, this was 1999, I think. And yeah, oh God, it's like, and this was a time of my life where of course my life could have gone in any direction. So if I got an offer like this, uh, today it would be along the lines of, yeah, but you know what? I just, I really enjoy my life here. And as good a, as good a professional opportunity as this is, it would have to be substantially better than anything that I'm doing in my current situation to make me want to change. Cause you know, when you're, uh, when you're like in your late twenties, early thirties, you know, you don't, you haven't really figured out what you're committed to yet. You haven't really figured out who you are yet. Um, and I'm, there were two things that got me to turn down that job and take the job at the Sun Times. Number one was that at the time I was looking, I knew that the big thing in the following year in movies was going to be the first new Star Wars movie in years. Episode one was going to be released that next year. And at the same time, uh, I think that was when they were, Apple was slated to finally release Mac OS 10. Like when they finally switched Mac OS to Unix, uh, to Linux. And I had to be honest with myself and said, I was really more excited about following uh, the new Mac OS and all that other sort of stuff. And I know we have listeners in Arizona. I'm not disparaging Phoenix. I did spend during the, I was flown out for an interview and I spent a couple days there. It's a lovely city. If you grew up in Boston, if you grew up in New England, you you got to concede it's quite a change. It would have been quite a change. So <laughs> to, to go from like cursing about the snow and the sleet and the four dramatic seasons to goes from hot to damn hot to really damn hot. And then it's, and then it's winter and it's just hot again. Uh, yeah, that would have been, that would have been a change. Also, it's hard, it's hard for me to get used to a city that um, it's, it's Boston is hundreds of years old. Nothing in that city is a grid, <laughs> you know, cause that's how old the streets are. When I get into a city where everything is laid out on a street grid, it just boggles my mind. I, I swear to God, I was like 12 or 13 years old before I understood the concept of a city block. Like there would be, a, a, there'd, be there'd be a joke on Sesame street about how, Hey, uh, hi Gordon, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just running, jogging around the block. And the joke is that they pan down and there's like a alphabet block, wooden block. And he's jogging around to say, Oh, ha, 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 ha. I don't get it because there are no blocks in Boston. There's like a triangle and there's a circle and there's sort of parallelogram and an oblate spheroid. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sure, I'm sure it's a great city. I, but I, I haven't regretted it since it would, would have been, would have been an interesting adventure, but I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure how I would have taken to, uh, to the change. Anyway, that's a huge distraction. I'm sorry about that. So, uh, yeah, people, uh, just like last week, uh, Gannett is, uh, barking down Google snorkel about, oh, you know, Google stranglehold on the entire digital ads industry. So Gannett filed a suit, uh, in New York, uh, court, 
of accusing it of violations of antitrust and of course because of its stranglehold on the digital ads, ads industries. Um, the complaint makes the usual very sincerely strong case against how Google absolutely controls digital advertising. They have 90% of that market. And it's hard to argue in favor of Google the, the situation where Google essentially buys and sells stocks and bonds while also owning the stock exchange and the printing press where those stocks and bonds are actually distributed. There's, It's terrible. It's not just that they've been very, very shrewd and they've bought up businesses, not even that they've used that their size to gain and maintain an advantage. These Every time you see a suit like this, you read every single page of it. And just like the EU suit last week, it outlines exactly uh, I, I, the word shenanigans comes to mind, not because it's not a serious thing, but because, oh my God, it wasn't just like deft moves. It was like, there's no way we're going to get away with this, but there's no way we can't try to get away with this. Yeah, it's really, really hard to, to it's really hard to defend Google against this stuff. And I don't know how Google is going to do that. Um, plus, they're making the argument that uh, it's impossible to build an alternative competing ad network at this point because it's so big that uh, they've, they've crushed the ability for a small ad network just starting out to even survive uh all of this points towards them basically trying to get a court to find that they're in violation of the sherman Inter- antitrust act and other sundries um the complaint well they all, there is one uh, weak point in the suit they're also making the common accusation from the news industry that google is stealing news publishers content for free and i've always thought that that was pretty shaky i think that google can at least make a good argument that hey look we're sending traffic to your sites people are not finding this article because like they oh gosh i wonder what the times picayune had to say about this it's like no they did a google search and our google search steered them to this article in your newspaper uh, but apart from that it does make uh the, the complaint explains how google often fortifies certain features of google search such as the news carousel like where it has excerpts of, of news things google makes a big point about oh no no this is done in partnership with uh, with the news publishers uh, and they they we, we show them how to format the stuff so that uh, so that it can appear in the carousel and get this extra spo- exposure but the complaint outlines the technologies about how uh, the architecture behind like the news carousel more or less strips the publisher's ability to capitalize on that exposure. So even there, they feel like, okay, well, now you're taking our content and you're not giving us anything in return for it. Uh, the complaint makes seven separate claims, mostly on antitrust violations, but also on uh, violations of New York uh, state business law, as well as accusing them of unjust enrichment, enrichment and good old-fashioned fraud. So Gannett is asking the court to find that uh, Google did each of those seven things, that they are in violation of the Sherman Antitrust Act, including uh, they want to enjoin Google from continuing to do those things, prevent Google from being anti-competitive in the future, and of course, award Gannett damages, treble damages, punitive damages, and or restitution in an amount to be determined at trial. Yeah, it's, I don't know how, how Google is going to get out of this. Now these, every one of these acts, so now they're, they're facing, I think four separate actions. They're uh, facing anti uh, all uh, four different antitrust actions, huge ones based on this ad business from the EU, from the department of justice, from a coalition of state attorneys general, and now from the Gannett group and they got them dead to rights. I don't know how they're going to navigate around this. I think there's going to have to be such a, a huge settlement to get themselves uh, out of the doghouse here to get the, their their heads out of the noose, uh, and I don't know how they're going to actually do that. The other details of the complaint uh, talks about 
exactly how much they're losing. And the 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 argument in numbers is about how digital advertising is a two hundred billion dollar business that it's gone up nine times since it's nine times what what in in twenty twenty three it's nine times what that was in two thousand nine. And yet, like advertising revenue for the publishers has declined by nearly seventy percent, and so they're making the argument that look, if this did, if if the actual findings of, of of proof don't do this to you, isn't it kind of odd that the ad business is making nine times as much money as it was in uh, ten or 15, fourteen years ago? And yet our revenue has been declining year after year after year off of the same product. Uh, now the the only kind of squirrely thing they're saying here is about how, as a result, newspaper newsroom employment has dropped by more than half, and more than twenty percent of all newspapers have closed. The circulation of daily and weekly newspapers has decreased by more than forty percent over uh, in the just in the past four years. Over one hundred seventy Gannett publications have been shuttered. Uh, for Gannett's largest remaining publications, average daily circulation fell by nearly twenty percent between twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one alone. Again, there's something significant about 2020. I don't know what that could be. Uh, and also, yeah, there, there are a lot of reasons why uh, readership has gone down. There's a, and also, uh, and also, I'm sure that there are a lot of reasons why Gannett has chosen to shut down a whole bunch of local newspapers. And they have nothing to do with competition. I think that it has to do with them being a huge corporation and saying, hey, if instead of like having this these three local weeklies that cover uh county news intensely and devotedly and are in, in, ingratiated and embedded in the communities that they serve what if we just made this all like a one newspaper for the entire western massachusetts region wouldn't that save us a lot of money we'll just like have them share <sighs> so who who knows um as usual, the great thing about these lawsuits is discovery. Like, okay, show us a whole bunch of documents. A lot of these numbers are going to have to be defended, but it's hard to argue with uh, with a lot of these basic numbers because, uh, again, numbers, numbers, numbers. The, the, the dollars don't really don't really lie. Um, of course, the CEO of Gannett had a USA Today op-ed. I don't know who read it because it's in USA Today. Sidebar: They changed their logo to a blue dot huge blue dot and i've just never gotten i haven't been able to get a hold of that that's it reminds me of every single uh, when desktop publishing became a thing like in 1985 when the the mac came out and there's desktop publishing apps for for the, the apple II, for the commodore 64 for the ibm pc it looks like the sort of logo for a newspaper that a kid would have made for the little <laughs> newspaper they created in one of those apps it's very Broderbund print shop sort of logo that has nothing to do with the quality of the good work that's being done by the trained journalists who work for USA Today. But anyway, <laughs> okay. Um, before we go, uh, another thing to, that's uh, worth talking about. So the, uh, there are a whole bunch of there are a set of five new Android ads that Google dropped this week, and they all take aim at Apple. They're uh, that the theme of the uh, of the series. And the hashtag is best phones forever. And the conceit is that every, if every one of them is like a, there's an iPhone and there's a, a pixel seven phone and they're like kind of buddies or like work buddies or whatever at different locations, having conversations about their lives and what they can do and what they can't do. It definitely reminds people of the, uh, get a Mac ads that Apple ran between 2006 and 2009. That was the, I'm a Mac and I'm a PC with uh, John Hodgman and Justin Long. 
very much the same vibe. Uh, of course, they recast the roles where the iPhone is sort of defensive and insecure and a little bit uptight, while the Pixel is supportive and friendly and loving and caring, while at the same time, in a non-stick-the-knife-in like, way, explaining that it has certain features that, <laughs> that the iPhone would be great if the iPhone had. Uh, yes, the green bubbles <laughs> is mentioned in one of those. Uh, but it's it's nice that and it, instead of the get a Mac ads, like they are, these phones are actually out and about and they're traveling the world together. They're they're vacationing together, implying that they are friends at the very minimum. And whereas the I'm a Mac, I'm a PC ads, they were like stuck in a featureless white void, uh, and that that's kind of scary. Uh, I mean, it's actually kind of nice, maybe. I mean, the logic, of course, it's a, it's there to promote. Uh, Android and the Pixel phone. So the logic that Google is using here, it gets a little bit squirrely at times, as you might expect. But it doesn't make the iPhone character sound petty or dumb or angry or frustrated the way that uh, John Hodgman's PC character often was. Just a lot of, gee, I wish I could do that. And, oh, I had no idea that this was even possible, Pixel. Uh, it's the uh, so of course they're speaking to each other in their assistant voices, the Siri voice versus the Google Assistant voice. There, there, there are little little zets that they're getting in there. I think it's I think it's not accidental that the Siri voice comes across as sounding a little bit more robotic than the mellifluous, smooth sounding Google Assistant voice. The, the the Pixel Seven is bright now bright and bright like a shiny penny and naked as the day it was born rest the iphone is in a black protective case <laughs> which is like putting it in corrective shoes or something i don't know so i'm trying i'm trying to figure out how i feel about this it's i mean I, on the one hand i do think that it's good that we've both mac and pc both window uh, both uh, uh and windows and and mac os uh, iPhone and Android that we've gotten beyond like really, really cheap, petty. Ah, look, I'm team red, you're team blue, team red forever. Team blue stinks. Bad. This is you team red. Like, okay, we can do, we can do better than this. Uh, on the other hand, it's kind of, it's kind of nice to see that they're fun ads. Uh, I think that Google is going to be rightly criticized for again, the squirrely parts of it. I don't think it was mean spirited at all. <laughs> uh, the lifesaver ad in which they're at a beach <laughs> is pretty funny. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I'll, I'll, I'm going to, I'm going to leave this to the, uh, uh, for our members episode. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to go through all of them and you'll, you can watch them with me and we'll, 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 we'll enjoy them all together. Uh, if you aren't a member, by all means, come up and sign up, go to relay.fm slash material uh, and support us with a monthly pledge. We very, very much appreciate it. We appreciate very, very much the fact that you give us your time every single week. Uh, your money is also very, very helpful. And we try to thank you by having special content uh, just for our members. And if you go to material uh, relay.fm slash material, you'll also see a link to all those ads uh, amongst the other links that are in our show notes. So check that off. I think that's going to be it. Uh, VidCon kicks, kicks off today, like in the keynote is like in two hours as I record this. So next week there'll be stuff to talk about that. And it'll be, uh, you, you'll have a, you'll have a good time listening to this just to get a good laugh at me uh, and my expense about how absolutely, completely, totally oblivious I am about these YouTubers who are about 10 times to 50 times more famous than anybody I would have thought of as a huge star back in the eighties or nineties. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> 
I'm looking at this 17 year old and I'm thinking, oh, good for them. They're, you know, they're putting a little money in that cold college fund. They're being creative and expressing themselves. I find out that, oh no, he made $48 million last year. (laughs) And he, he actually can't leave his house because he's mobbed. He's so famous. Like, oh, on the other hand, maybe it's probably correct that a generation Xer does not know much about a 17 year old celebrity. Uh, Flo will be back with us next month. In the meantime, you can check out what she's been up to on her Instagram, where she's oh that flow. I am Anatko on Twitter and Instagram, I H N A T K O. You can also hear me on Boston Public Radio at WGBHnews.org or the WGBH News channel on YouTube. We're doing uh, this week's show from the Boston Public Library Studio, so you will see me on uh, so you'll see me on video. Uh, hopefully. This is still like late morning as I record this. I hopefully have time to get a haircut. Oh my God, I need a haircut so badly. And if I'm going to be on, on, on the TV, even the streaming TV, I think my mother would appreciate it if I finally got my haircut. Um, once again, as always, help our source. You can help support our show by and everything on the Relay.fm network by becoming a member. Head on over to, once again, Relay.fm slash material to sign up and gain access to special members-only episodes produced by not only us, by but all of Relay's contributors well-groomed better groomed than i worth checking out uh but thanks everybody so much for listening this time we hope you'll be listening again next week until then everybody please have a happy safe and healthy seven days bye-bye